Welcome back, bosses of the Midnight Motivation Mob, and welcome to all new listeners. I appreciate each and every single one of you all for dedicating your time to listening on in. Midnight Motivation is a real and raw podcast about motivation, achieving success, entrepreneurship, and becoming the best version of you. And I'm your host, Tony Peck. Welcome to all the new listeners. Appreciate you listening in, and welcome back to all the bosses part of the Midnight Motivation Mob. Today, guys, I have the most badass guest in Midnight Motivation's history to date, former Navy SEAL turned business founder of a multi-million dollar brand, Shark Tank entrepreneur, owner and founder of one of the largest veteran-owned companies in the U.S. Ladies and gentlemen, please, let's give a very warm welcome to the founder of Bottle Breacher, Eli Crane. Eli has been kind enough to offer an exclusive discount for the members of the Midnight Motivation Mob on his amazing Bottle Breacher products, his flagship product being a 50 caliber bullet bottle opener as seen on Shark Tank. Use the code MOB15, M-O-B-15, to get 15% off your order. The code is valid until July 11th, 2018, so make sure to check out the link to his site in our description or visit www.bottlebreacher.com to get your bottle breacher opener and other gear in time for summer barbecues. Thanks again, Eli. So, what is up, Eli? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. I appreciate you taking time out to do this with me. I also appreciate your service. Absolutely, man. I was uh, glad and uh, proud to do it. Thank you. Thank you. So Eli, man, tell me about you. Let the people know who you are, what you do. Let's hear your story. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, first I'm a son of God. I am a, uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Um, and I'm also a former Navy SEAL and a, a veteran, and I'm also a uh, business owner. So tell us about your business and how you got started. Let's hear your, I want to hear your journey, man. Tell me your journey. Absolutely. So um, I started this business, uh, to be, when I had two years left in the Navy, I had caught in the entrepreneurial bug, uh, a little bit before that, when I was asked, uh, by a couple other uh, guys that I work with in the Navy to join a business with them. And, um, you know, I, I really relished and really delighted in the freedom that came with entrepreneurship and realizing that, you know, we could, we could try and build this thing and it could f- fall flat on its face or it could grow into the next big thing. And so, um, I ended up staying with those guys for about four years and, uh, halfway through that cycle, I, you know, decided that I was going to venture out on my own a little bit and start something by myself. And, um, I did that while, uh, while praying a lot and asking God, Hey, when I get out of the service, you know, father, how do you want me to provide for my wife and kids? And so it was kind of cool because he gave me something that didn't make sense to, uh, to really anybody outside of, uh, our inner circle. And so, um, we started, uh, just trying to, I started by trying to make something cool. And I started with a really generic 50 caliber bottle opener that my little brother brought me back from the Philippines. And I thought it was really cool. And all of my buddies did as well. Um, and I just had an idea that, you know what, I can take this really raw, generic 50 caliber bottle opener and I can make it a lot better. And so I started working on that. And once I'd made it better, I asked my wife if she thought she could help me uh, sell them um, because it was just so cool and so simplistic at the same time. And she did, did a little bit of research and settled in on Etsy that that's where she wanted to launch the store. And so um, we launched uh, the Etsy store in t- early 2013. And our original goal was to make about 500 extra dollars a month in additional income. And so fast forward about six months from that point, we kept trying to make the product better and, you know, put it up there on social media and people started getting word of what we were doing. And we went from, we blew our goal away of $500 additional income a month. And at that point we were doing $7,500 a month out of a one car garage. And at that point, I had maybe, you know, one or two guys coming in there to help me do the tedious, you know, stuff that, you know, took me the longest amount of time. And um, we were watching a lot of Shark Tank at that point. And I remember watching an episode where Kevin O'Leary ripped apart an entrepreneur who was actually doing pretty well for not having any brand recognition on his product, meaning once it left the package, uh the consumer couldn't tell if it was his product or one of his competitors. There was no name on it. And so I looked at Jen and I was like, babe, babe, we got to figure out how to get bottle breacher on every single unit that leaves the garage. And so I started doing some research, which led me to laser engraving. Um, And I ended up selling my motorcycle to buy 
our first laser engraver. And so basically what I did is I sacrificed a liability or something that cost me money mm-hmm. for an asset, something that um, was hopefully going to make me money. And that was before I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, you know, which is a book I recommend to all of your listeners out there. It, it's, it's a phenomenal book and it's in very um, general and layman terms, which was really fantastic helpful. book. It's great. It's a great book when you're starting out on the entrepreneurial journey for sure. Yeah. And so anyway, at that point, it was cool because when I did that, I sold my bike and bought the laser engraver. Our sales went from $7,500 a month to $22,000 a month in wow. a mere period of a month and a half. And you were still in the one car garage. Still in the one car garage. And, uh, and even fast forward a year from that, when we were still in the one car garage and Jen was handling customer service and marketing, um, you know, from inside the house on, on her computer, uh, we were doing $80,000 a month at that, at that point. And we had to have about, you know, sometimes between five or six guys in that one car garage and it was just chaos. We had to have a generator generator in there. We had four laser engravers at that point just to, so that we wouldn't trip, you know, the electricity in the house and That's crazy. we had to get a really quiet one because the thing would run until the wee hours of the morning, a lot of times two or three in the morning. So we didn't upset our neighbors because we were in base housing at the time. And, um, at that time I also went on, I went to an open casting call for the shark tank, which, uh, obviously went pretty well. We got the opportunity to, um, pitch to one of their casting directors, a really, uh, beautiful and, awesome young lady named uh, Mindy. And uh, she actually allowed us to go on to the next round. Um, she get, you know, they sent us an email. I'd pitched on a Saturday and then they uh, sent us an email Monday, early Monday morning saying you guys have progressed to the next round. That's awesome. And so uh, we, we made, we made a video and we started having uh, weekly phone calls with a couple producers. And then uh a couple of weeks later, we ended up at Sony Picture Studios in uh, Southern California, and um, I got out of the military in October, and our episode aired in November. So it was really good timing, and it was uh, it was there was a lot of adversity involved, a lot of drinking through a fire hose, and really you know um, feeling the pain of rapid success because we we went from a really small operation, you know, a six man. I'm sorry, a six person uh, company to about 35 within two weeks. We did a million in sales in the first week and um, we did 5 million in sales that first year um, after Shark Tank. So, you know, we went from, you know, a small company to still a small company, but the growth was very rapid. And anytime you, you experience that quick, you know, that, that rapid of growth, you really, uh, as a business owner, you really, um, you have to really think outside the box and you can no longer do things the way you used to do them because it doesn't work anymore. Absolutely. I agree with that. That's awesome. That's an incredible story, man. And where's your company at now? How many employees you guys got? How much do you guys do in sales? I know now you're doing more than 50 caliber bullets. You guys got a whole awesome lineup. Yeah, we, we, uh, we're still, we're, we're in Tucson, Arizona. That's where I, we moved it right before we went on the shark tank. That's where my wife's family's from. So uh, we moved from San Diego back here to Arizona. And honestly, Arizona is a lot more business friendly than San Diego. So that was uh, that was really good for us. And um, we, I believe we have about 22 employees right now. I'd have to confirm that, check on that. But I think that's the number. And so, yeah, you know, things are great. We have a bunch of other new products. We have uh, whiskey bullets. We have keychains. We have 20 millimeter, 30 millimeter bottle breachers, which are just really big, um, yep. you know, rounds that open your beer. We have freedom frags, which are grenades that open your beer. Our newest product is the combat cooler. It's an ammo can slash uh, six pack carrier slash cooler. That's really cool. Uh, makes a great father's day gift or a great, you know, gift for anybody in your family um, that enjoys drinking beer enjoys having a beer on the beach and just enjoys, you know, having, you know, made in the USA, better known product. Um, you know, we also do our own apparel and, you know, we've really tried to, you know, expand the line because it's one thing to make a really cool product. It's a completely different monster to make a really cool, develop a really cool brand. And that's what we've been trying to do from day one. 
And what advice would you give? Like, how do you constantly innovate in new products and new ideas? Do you like look at market factors or what advice could you give to others that have maybe one product, but they want to expand to a line? Well, I think a lot of it honestly is instinct. That's something that some entrepreneurs have. It's something that they don't have. If they don't have instinct, then they need to either hire somebody or partner up with somebody that does. And, you know, when it comes to new product development, a lot of the time, you know, I, I consider myself to have, you know, a good amount of instinct and I develop a lot of the products around here, not all of them, but a lot of them. And I usually look at something and, and I ask myself, do I think that's cool? I mean, that sounds like a no brainer, but you know, some, a lot of people throw me ideas all the time that I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And obviously I don't tell them that, but uh, <laughs> I would never buy that thing, nor do I think anybody else that I know would buy that thing. And so you have to have a little bit of instinct. And then ultimately you have to prove your concept. You have to prove that your customers are willing to part with their hard-earned money for your product. And you want to do that as early as possible so that you don't waste a bunch of capital and resources and time trying to develop something that nobody's going to buy. And that's what a real proof of concept is. And I think that's one of the biggest things that a lot of young entrepreneurs fail to understand is you may think it's the coolest idea in the world, but unless you've proven that people or customers are going to part with their hard-earned dollars for your product, you have nothing. And until you do, you've got nothing. Now, Eli, you talk a lot of, you make a lot of sense when it comes to business ideas and stuff and tactics and instinct. Did you have any college background, MBA, anything that, you know, typically you need or people think they need to run a successful business? No. Nothing at all. I mean, I did I did three years of college and then I joined the Navy the week after 9-11. So my college career got, um, you know, shortchanged, but that was okay with me. I really wasn't having a great time there anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it did, actually, the, be- the best education I got for how to run a business was in the military. I definitely believe it. Yeah, the regimented types of yeah, uh, lifestyle. Of the positions that I had, you know, were very logistic, logistical. Um, you know, we had one of the last cells that I ran in the Navy, you know, um, had a lot of moving parts, a lot of people, a lot of equipment, you know, uh, just, it was a logistical nightmare. And that's a lot of times what running, you know, a multi-million dollar business, um, is like, and so it really, you know, not only that, but special operations really prepared me for business because if you think you're going to, you know, get out of the military or even start, start a business, um, with little to zero capital and you're going to compete and play with the big dogs who have, you know, enormous budgets. The only way for you to compete is to, you know, be very unconventional in your approach and your attack. And so, um, you know, that, that mindset from the SEAL teams really helped me in business. And then also understanding, which I also learned in the, in the SEAL teams, how important a team is. Um, and that's something that carries right over into business, because if you think you're going to build anything magnificent or dynamic on your own, you're a fool. You're absolutely right, man. And as a former SEAL, I'm sure you've been on missions before, but were you able to convert that type of mission mindset to their business? Like, did you have a mission for your business once you got out of the SEALs and started your business? Absolutely. Um, practically one of the biggest things I learned from going on a lot of missions is that Murphy's law often, you know, rears its his ugly head and anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that's why in the SEAL teams, we constantly harp and plan, you know, we spend more times probably on our contingency planning than we do on the actual battle plan, because we know that things are going to start to go wrong as soon as we leave the wire and the target's not going to be in that house. And you're going to have problems with your vehicle and you're going to have problems with radios and that's perfect for entrepreneurship because nothing ever goes to plan. But now if you're someone that doesn't come from military background, how could you you know, suggest to someone to attract that type of mindset and, and be able to have that entrepreneurial type of thinking? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually, you know, it's actually pretty, it's actually a pretty simple concept. You don't have to come from a military background. Um, you just have to have a little situational awareness. Look at, look at all the things that you've, you know, you've planned on doing in your life. Do they ever go to plan? No, they never do. You know, and so you you just have to you have to go into a business or a new product development or anything that you're doing, you know, in entrepreneurship with the mentality. You have to start asking questions at this event that I'm planning. What could go wrong? You know, maybe we'll lose power. You know, maybe I'll get overwhelmed with customers. Maybe I'll run out of a certain product. 
you know, maybe it'll start to rain. Maybe, you know, my laptop that's processing payments will go down. Do I have a backup for it? You just, you go into everything asking yourself what could possibly go wrong. And then you try and have a contingency plan in place for that so that you don't have to figure it out right then and there. You've already got a plan for it. And that's what you need to do if you want to do a good job um, contingency planning and ultimately being successful as an entrepreneur. So being able to always react to whatever's thrown at you and being ready to, to react pretty much. Absolutely. R- rigidity is probably one of the biggest enemies of the entrepreneur and, and, and not just the entrepreneur, but I think people in general, the moment that you get so married to your plan um, is the moment you lose flexibility and the moment you really stifle your options. And that's always a bad thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was going to ask you, how, since now you're a successful entrepreneur, you have an awesome business, you're doing great. How do you combat being complacent? Like, how do you constantly want more and want to grow? Because I'm sure a lot of people, when they get to your point, that was their goal from the start. So how do you constantly keep pushing forward? Well, I think, I think it's a love. It's, it's honestly a love for it. You know, I'm not going to say it's all, you know, roses because it's definitely not. <laughs> You'd be lying for sure. <laughs> right. There, there's a reason that 95% of us fail because this is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And if it was easy, everybody would be their own boss, but it's not. And so, um, you know, I just, I always remind myself how blessed and fortunate I am to one, get to live in this country. Um, but two, um, that I get to pursue the things that I'm passionate about. And one cool thing about bottle breacher is it's really opened a lot of doors um, for me to do things that are more, even more important to me than running a, a big business. And so I really enjoy what I get to do every day. I enjoy the challenge. I actually enjoy the, the frustration sometimes and, and the struggle that comes along with it because I enjoy the process and being successful at things that other people struggle at and are not able to do. I don't, if, if you give me something that is not difficult to do and tell, tell me, Eli, it's your job for the next three weeks to knock out this task that seems simple and mundane, I'll check out because I have to, I have to sink my teeth and do things that are difficult or I just, I become disinterested. I love that you said that. I think that's what a true entrepreneur is. You love the journey. You, you don't love like once you get to that that goal that you set. You, you love getting to the goal. And that's why you're constantly setting new milestones for yourself. And I'm also sure you love failing. You just said before, 95% of people do fail. But with the mindset you have, you got to enjoy failing. I feel like you walk towards failure because every time you fail, you get closer to your goal, right? Right. And I'll be honest, I, I, I'm working on that. Um one of my favorite scriptures is James 1, 2, and it says, Rejoice in times of tribulations, for it's a testing of your faith that breeds perseverance. Let perseverance continue so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. And it's it's obviously a Bible verse, mm-hmm. and some people obviously don't even believe in God, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But even if you just read that verse as an entrepreneur, it applies to entrepreneurs because it really is the testing of your faith that breeds perseverance. And if you want to become complete, mature and lacking in nothing, like the verse says, then there's no way to get there other than to, you know, walk through adversity and have your faith tested. And so, you know, I'm working at, you know, rejoicing in times of tribulation, but I'm not there yet. I, I still get upset and frustrated like everybody else does. But I think the difference is, is that I appreciate it and I'm not afraid of it and you know, I welcome the process and I know that it's a part of the process. And I know without failure, I will never go anywhere and I will never accomplish anything. I think another massive part about what you just said is your awareness. I think that's huge that you are aware of what you lack or what you're not as good at or what you want to get better at, even though you're already successful. And I think that's great to hear that you're saying that you're working on stuff still, because that means you're constantly trying to make yourself as good as you possibly can become at your fullest potential yet. Yeah, I'm nowhere near um, where I want to be. And I have, I have so many weaknesses. I mean, it's, it's insane. And that's, that goes back to building a team because, you know, without the team of people that work here every day, there's no way that anything gets done here. And this is, you know, this is a big nothing burger, (laughs) nothing burger. That's a new one. I like that. So I think from what you were telling me, you had your company starting out of the one car garage. You're pretty much a big fan of organic growth. 
Um, but you went to Shark Tank. I wanted to know why did you go to Shark Tank if you were, you know, grinding it out in the beginning? And what would you suggest other entrepreneurs to do? At what point can they sh- should they go to Shark Tank ever? Is when's a good time? I wanted to hear your take on that because I think that's awesome that you had that I'm opportunity. I'm actually really glad you brought that one up because that's a huge one. Um, you know, there's no blueprint. It's it's different for everybody. Um, I do believe in organic growth as long as it's possible. You might have a rock star, you know, business or idea or product that's just crushing it. And you might be a much better entrepreneur than I am. And that's that's very likely because I don't consider myself that great of one, to be honest with you. But that's what makes you great. <laughs> right. And so if if you're in that stay organic as long as you possibly can. And if if you don't ever need an infusion of capital, then by all or or the advice, you know, or the mentorship, you know, that comes along often with, you know, partners, then by all means, keep it, keep it under your control as long as possible. But for many of us that have many weaknesses and limitations out there, um, you might need a capital infusement someday, you know, infusement someday, you might need a partner that can connect you in places that you can't get into, you know, yourself, or it might take you five, five or 10 years to get there. So, what, one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of entrepreneurs make, in my opinion, is they end up owning 100% of nothing. Mm-hmm. So yep. That's something that, you know, I do believe in organic growth. But if you feel like organic growth is going to, you know, if you if you run to that up to that point where you're like, I cannot grow this business any further, or I cannot take the next step in this business by myself, then use your equity as a tool or you know, stock options or, you know, figure, figure out a way to get some capital and some smarter people, you know, into your business. Because the saying that, you know, if, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, that really applies in business. And there's a lot of people that work for me that are a lot smarter than I am. And that doesn't bother me one bit. I think it all goes back to awareness, what you said, knowing when is it a good time or when you need a partner or a mentor or capital infusion. So I think it also goes plays into having that entrepreneurial mindset that you have. And uh, why was your what was your reason for Shark Tank? Then did you go for capital infusion or did you go um, to get mentorship? You know, so Shark Tank is really a three you know it's a really a three part thing, you know that 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 come out of it. I think the most powerful the thing that comes out of Shark Tank is the exposure itself. You know, when you when you get you can have the coolest idea in the world, but unless people know about it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. <laughs> that, exactly. And so when, when you have, you know, 12 million people see your product for seven or eight minutes, they, they call it a $5 million commercial because mm-hmm. that's what that airtime would cost you if you paid for it. And so it's a phenomenal launching pad. So you got that part, we'll call that, you know, A, and then B, you know, you get some, guidance and some mentorship from the shark depending on how busy they are whether they feel like you know whether they feel like you're a good investment and they can get good roi off of you and your business you know so you got you got those things going for you and then it also opens you up to you know um a new network and you know people that wouldn't take your call before you know that have seen you on tv now or or have heard about you you know might actually be calling you and so you know, it's kind of a three-part deal with uh, going on the Shark Tank. Um, it's not for everybody. That's you know, that's for sure. You have to remember they're making a TV show, so you can have. I mean, there's so many people out there that have way bigger, more you know, cash-flowing businesses than I'll probably ever have. That are probably never would never be a good fit for Shark Tank because there's it's not a great story. It does. It's not going to make good TV. And those are the things you got to remember when you're applying for that show. And now you got invested by Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary, right? Yep. And how was that process after the Shark Tank going on? Like, how was their mentorship with you? Did you learn a lot? Did they open up your network? How did that whole thing go? You know, I think they've opened up our network, uh, definitely. Um, I, I don't really feel like I got mentorship out of either of them. To be honest with you, those guys are so busy. I mean, I believe it, yeah. Mark Cuban has 70, last time I checked anyway, he had 70 plus Shark Tank companies. Then he owns the Dallas Mavericks. He's on the board mm-hmm. in a whole bunch of different places. He's got a family. I mean, the guy's a busy man, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I applaud, you know, everything he's done and, you know, how successful he is. And, um, but you got to be realistic. I mean, you know, the, time is money. And that's one thing that Mark can't buy 
more of. That's one thing Kevin can't buy more of. They can't buy more of, they can't buy more time. And so you got to be realistic. If you do go on the show, you know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be getting a lot of their personal time because they've got bigger fish to fry. And so that was something that, you know, I learned after, you know, after the fact, which I'm, I'm not upset about it is, it is what it is. Um, but they definitely have, you know, at, at times they definitely have tried to help us get in, you know, this door or that door or make a phone call or send an email on our behalf. And so that's always a big deal when you can, you know, or when, or like one, one of the coolest things that Mark does for us is often if we're launching a new product, you know, he'll, he'll help us spread the word on his social media. He'll tweet it out for us. And that's a big deal. That is awesome. You're like standing on the shoulders of giants pretty much, which is awesome. Yeah. When you went into Shark Tank, did you have the goal in mind that you wanted Mark and uh, Kevin or you just went in going for anyone and getting the brand out there? Now, to be honest, our goal was to get Mark because, you know, he's the tech guru and we run a uh, we run an online business. Um, And then we also not only that, but he's the biggest out of all of them by far. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we we wanted anybody else that we thought would, you know, kind of get the vision and you know, be excited to work with us. And so believe it or not, Kevin O'Leary was the guy that actually made the first offer, which was surprising because we thought he was going to be the guy saying, you know, this is the dumbest thing I've you know, <laughs> ever seen. Let's take it behind the barn and shoot it. <laughs> exactly. But he's actually, dude, that guy is so cool, man. He is, you know, he's one of the coolest celebrities I've ever met in my life. And he's just a, he's just a down to earth guy. Um, you know, and, uh, he's been out here a couple times and, you know, every time I get to see him, you know, he puts a big old smile on my face. That's incredible. I have that experience to be able to really learn who he is, you know? Yep. But now going into the shark tank with knowing who you wanted, you think that helped you? Like when you know your target, just in anything in general, honestly, now that I'm asking you about that, like you pretty much set, I'll bring it back to the Navy SEAL type of stuff. You set a target, you aimed and you got it. You think that had anything to do with it or? For sure. You always want a battle plan, but remember also what I said, you also want contingency plans. Like we really rehearsed, you know, getting attacked. We, we rehearsed, okay, what would, what would you say if Mark Cuban asked you this? What would you say if Barbara Cochran asked you that? What would you say if, you know, Damon John attacked you here? How would you rebuttal? How would you counter? And so, you know, that's, that's, I think, more, just as important, if not more important than actually having a plan of attack going in. So you did your research and you really diligently planned out every single scenario pretty much. So you went in very well planned, which I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs do. And you can see it on the show sometimes. If you ever get that opportunity, I mean, if you think about it, you know, Tony, 40,000 people a year apply for that spot. And I think 120 of them actually, I think, air on TV if my numbers are correct. So you do the math there. If you get that type of opportunity, and like I just said, it's a $5 million commercial if you get that opportunity and you don't prepare for it, well, then you're not going to make it in business because you're not smart. No, you're just not a true entrepreneur at that point. I feel like if you're going into a meeting like that, you're extremely excited. You want to give them all the knowledge you can about your product, you know? No. And I've definitely failed in pitches before. The first um, investor I ever talked to when this thing was just a baby, you know, it had solid sales. I think, you know, people were starting to see the magic behind it, but I didn't know what I was talking about. I, I didn't know much at all. I really knew nothing about business. The first investor I ever sat down with, you know, was, it was a huge failure, you know, but like I said, I I didn't let it stop me. We just kept, we just kept learning and pushing forward and applying the the lessons that we had learned in failure. And that has a lot to do with your mindset and and your vision on what you want and you took that failure i'm sure you learned more or maybe if not the same much more than you would have if you got the pitch closed you know so i think that has to do with your outlook on the type of things that you're given you know you you would get a failure you have to be willing to learn from it you know absolutely so i know your wife is also your partner which is not a very uh normal thing nowadays i think it's extremely tough i know there's a lot of listeners out here that may be in business with their husband and wives and I know you're extremely relatable, Eli. You come off really enthusiastic. Um, what's the best and what's the worst part of that, having your wife as your business partner? You know, you live with her. You're with her every day. You're doing business together. How do you guys separate? What's like the yin and yang part of this? Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult, and it's not something I recommend to most people. And if you've done it, <laughs> no, honestly, I mean, it's not a, it's really not a bone of contention, you know, between my wife and I. We both, we both experienced it. We understand it. 
And it's just something that you need to rationally, you know, take a hard look at if you're thinking about doing it, because um, it's really tough sometimes to separate, even if you don't work with your spouse, sometimes it's tough to, you know, come home and separate your work life, your professional life from your, you know, your family life. And it's even harder if you work with your spouse. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things you got to be really careful getting into, but I can tell you this, if you're able to, uh, if you're able to get through it as a couple, like we have, um, and we continue to do every day, I think it honestly makes you, you know, stronger together. I love that. I think that's awesome advice. Now, Eli, you're a fucking monster. You're really successful. You're a titan in the entrepreneurial space, especially in the veteran owned companies right now. You're absolutely crushing it. What has been your biggest failure? You know, people look up to you. They get great advice from you, great knowledge. You, you do amazing things. You're a stand-up guy. What was your biggest failure? You know, make, want to make you more human, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this, I mean, we could probably spend more time um, talking about this than anything, because when people hear about me, they only hear the, the bio, they only hear the highlights, you know, which is like, you know, that, that photo you see of the iceberg where only 20% of it or 10% of it is exposed. And the other 90% is underneath the water. Well, that's kind of my, that's kind of my story. And I'm honestly not very, really that ashamed of it. Uh, but 90% of my, my life and my story has been failure and struggle and adversity. And uh, matter of fact, you, you know, to make your, your viewers feel better about themselves and their own story, I was actually fired from Baskin Robbins and Dairy Queen in the same year. And I deserved it in both cases. Um, I, like I said, the first time I sat down with an investor, it was a huge failure. You know, um, you know, by the time he got up, he did not want to invest with me. Um, and I deserved that one as well. Uh, the first time I tried to become a SEAL, I did not make it. I was sent out to a ship for two and a half years. Um, and I deserved that. Um, and we, we could just go on and on and on. I, I've launched products here that failed multiple products here that failed. Um, you know, I've failed in many areas of my personal life. Um, you know, there, you know, there's been many times where, you know, I wasn't the friend or the husband or the dad that I should have been. And, you know, it, like I said, it is what it is. I'm a human being and I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I can't fix the past, but what I can do is I can focus on the future and just, you know, not, not being so arrogant that I don't, you know, that I'm not willing to, you know, take accountability and responsibility for the failure in my life and, you know, the improvements that need to be made and just trying to, you know, trying to work at it. It definitely makes your life easier when you just hold yourself accountable for just about everything. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest problems we have in our, in our country, you know, right now is it, you know, I, I think that, you know, one of my favorite sayings is um, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. And I think right now we're somewhere in the midst of, you know, stanzas four and five there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a lot of weak men in this, just weak people in this country who have never, you know, been taught how to work hard. They've never been taught how to take ownership or accountability for anything. They've grown up in a protected bubble. And because we have so many weak individuals, they're creating hard times for everybody because they don't know how to do it. They don't know how they're, you know, grandparents made it through the great depression and you know some world wars and you know it's 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 unfortunate but it's a cycle and so um it will come back around we will go through hard times as a country and you know we will like like the stanza said hard times creates good men oh you're absolutely right i think that's incredible insight what you just shed and i think it's incredibly true that's absolutely going to happen sooner than later because nowadays most people want that get rich quick type of scheme and that's not a real thing but because of the internet and social media, you're able to see so much of it, but it's fake. Yeah, at least the people that want to get rich quick are actually trying to do something. That, you know, and, and, and that's got its own downside, and I definitely don't you know, condone that. But the, the people that I'm more concerned about are the people that just want to sit on their ass and you know, collect entitlements and handouts and think that it's somebody else's responsibility to take care of them and their family members. And you know, it's like it's one – here's the deal. It's one thing if you've got a disability and you honestly can't work, mm-hmm. but when you're just expecting other people to take care of you, that's something that I have a real problem with, especially milking the system. If you have, yeah, if you're milking the system, but especially if you have a family that's suffering because you're lazy and you're not willing to work, 
That's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting to me. Um, and you know, I, not, not that I'm in, you know, I just hope that those people one day figure it out mm-hmm. and, you know, for themselves, you know, and for, and for the people in their family so that they can, you know, enjoy, you know, what hard work really brings. You're right. They got to be, they have to get aware. I think that's what it comes down to being aware. That's, that's what it is. They might not even think they have a problem doing what they're doing. That's not anything negative, but it's fucking terrible. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a big part of the problem is that nobody ever taught them, Hey, this is not, this is not how you do it. This isn't, this isn't acceptable. This isn't how you go through life. Um, and you will never, ever, ever be fulfilled living like this. Fulfillment. What fulfills you the most? That you said fulfillment. I think that's a great thing to talk about. Um, the, the number one thing, that's an easy one for me, my relationship with God, hands down, not, not, nothing even close. There's a lot of people that, you know, if they, if they had the life that I've lived, they would, you know, they would think that they would be instantly fulfilled. You know, um, Navy SEAL made, you know, built a business out of a one car garage, you know, became a millionaire at 35, you know, but honestly, none of that stuff fulfilled me. I mean, it was great and I enjoyed it and I'm proud of it, but my relationship with God and just walking with God on a daily basis, that's what fulfills me. That's awesome. I think that's incredible. I I just loved hearing that from you, man. It's just so genuine, honestly. So I think that's awesome. Honestly, Tony, it's not something that most people want to hear. It's not something that it's not something that it usually gets edited out. It's something that most people don't talk about, but how hypocritical would that be? Like if, if I was sitting there before I get out of the service and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do for my family when I get out of the service? And then when it comes time to reap the benefit of what the father has provided for me, I act like it was all me and I take credit for it. That's, that's complete BS. That's that there's no authenticity there. There's no truth there. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's my job to just, tell people, Hey, this is, this is honestly, this is how it worked. This is who I give the credit to. This is what fulfills me. Take it or leave it. But that's the God's honest truth. That's a huge testimony of your character, man. And I think that says leaps and bounds about you just in a few words you just said there. It just shows so much about who Eli Crane is. And I love that. And I appreciate the honesty too, by the way. I absolutely do. Thanks, man. Um, so this podcast, I call it Midnight Motivation because a lot of people that are entrepreneurs, they hustle late at night and yep. I release these episodes at midnight. Because when you're late at night, you want to get a little kick in the ass. Now, the Midnight Motivation, it's not just a podcast. I'm turning into a movement. And the people part of the Midnight Motivation movement are actually part of the Midnight Motivation mob. And mob is an acronym, which I made stand for made of bosses. And a boss is built on self-sacrifice. So, Eli, first I want to welcome you to the Midnight Motivation mob. You're obviously a true testimony of what a true boss is. And the whole point of the podcast is to help people become the boss in their life, no matter what it is they do. You know, you could be a stay-at-home mother, a waiter, an entrepreneur, CEO, an employee. I want to know what's the, what, give me, give some advice to anyone of any age, either whether starting out or they're successful on how to be the best them. Yeah. I think one of the first things uh, is uh, just learning how to treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, in the Bible, it says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Some people say what goes around comes around, regardless of how you want to phrase it. If, if once you learn how to treat people, you know, with the respect that you want to be shown, life gets a lot better. And then once you can go, once you can also learn to apologize when you're screwed up and you're the one that's, you know, got the egg on your face, that's also a big thing too. Just, and that goes back to ownership and accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's one of the first things you need to, you know, take on board if you want to become a boss. And then, like I also said, have a little situational awareness, learn what you're good at learn what you're horrible at. Don't spend a lot of time working in my opinion. This is just my opinion. Don't spend a lot of time working on what you're trying to improve, what you're not good at. Focus your time on what you're really good at and hire people to do what you're not good at. Or you don't even always have to hire people, but you can build a team, you know, of people that help you at the things that you're bad at. Spend your time on the things that you're really good at, you know, whether it's marketing, you know, whether, you know, it's IT, you know, whether it's new product development, you know, whatever it is, you know, that's where you need to put, pour your time and effort. And then you need to build a team of people around you that support you where you're weak. That's another way um, that you can be a boss right there. And then I think that one of the, one of the final things that I'll mention here is, you know, resiliency is everything, you know, you know, if, if you, every, we have a saying in the SEAL teams, everybody wants to be a frogman on Fridays. And we say that because everybody wants to be a Navy SEAL at 2, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, 
you know, when, when the sun's out, the girls are looking pretty and the drinks are flowing, right? Well, it's not about who you want to be on Friday afternoon. It's about who you want to be at zero four hundred at, you know, in the morning on Monday morning when it's cold, dark, and wet, and you just want to stay in your bed. That's when you find out who you want to be. And, you know, you won't become a Navy SEAL. You won't become a successful entrepreneur if you're not, if you don't have discipline, if you don't want it bad enough to get out of that bed, if you don't want it bad enough to get out of that bed once you've been doing it for six months go to that day job, you know, so you can pay your bills and take care of your family. And then, you know, come home, eat dinner and, you know, go out to your garage or your workspace and work till two or three in the morning. You know, you will not get there if you're not resilient. And you also won't get there if you don't learn to enjoy the grind. A lot of times as human beings, as entrepreneurs, we're so busy looking to the next peak, the next mountain. Well, if I just, if I just, you know, you know, make this connection, or if I just get this partner, or if I just, you know, sell a million dollars worth of products, or if I just get on this TV show or this commercial, or if I can just get featured in this magazine, then everything will be, you know, good to go and hunky dory. It doesn't work that way. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you will not be successful in it. It's it, or you'll be successful and you'll be miserable. And what's the point? You know, so my dad gave me a piece of advice when I was in high school. He said, Eli, one of the biggest tricks to being happy in your life is to pick something you would do for free. And basically he was warning me about chasing money. And that's what a lot of people do. And money I've learned, it will never make you happy. It's one of those things that we all chase. It will never make you happy, but here's the cool thing about money as well. And I heard this sitting underneath a pastor who, you know, is just a phenomenal preacher. He said, and I felt like he was talking to me. He said, Money doesn't change who you are. It amplifies who you already were. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and believe it or not, some people are scared of being becoming wealthy because they think it's going to transform them into one of these knuckleheads that you see winning the lottery. But money doesn't change who you are. It amplifies who you already were. So if you consider yourself a good person, if you like to bless other people, if you like to help other people out, you know, if you're a hard worker, you know, if you're, if, if you, if you're a good family man, or if you're a great mom or a great wife, don't be afraid of becoming wealthy because it, remember it amplifies who you already were. That is absolutely fantastic advice. Every little bit of piece of it too. If you're listening in right now, I highly recommend you to go back, take out a pen and paper and jot down everything he just said about all the advice he just gave to you. Because I can tell you, Eli just explained to you from all of his conglomerate experiences, good and bad, what it takes to really become successful in your life and become fulfilled. So I think what you said, Eli is going to help a lot of people who are listening into this. No, that's awesome, man. And honestly, I was afraid too of becoming wealthy. I ne I didn't grow up wealthy. You know, I didn't, I never, that was never a goal of mine. I never wanted to become a millionaire. I never, you know, and, and when he, when my pastor said that, like it hit, cause I was right in the middle of starting this bit, like we were in like year, you know, two and we were doing really well. And I, I was kind of battling back and forth with that. You know, what's going to happen to me if this thing goes the way I think it's going to go. And, you know, when he said it, it hit me right between the eyes. And after I became a millionaire and started really growing this business, I realized, you know what? He was right. It didn't change who I was one bit. It just amplified you know, who I already was. I, I gave more, I wanted to help, help more people. And that's why I spend a lot of the time. I was just in Texas the last couple of days since Monday, you know, trying to bless some police officers that were, you know, wounded in the line of duty. I didn't get paid a dime for it. It didn't matter to me. That's not why I was there, you know, but my point is, is it doesn't change you. It amplifies who you already were. So don't be afraid of becoming wealthy. I agree with you, man. I think even as an entrepreneur, you kind of have almost a commitment and dedicate. You kind of have to give back because to get successful as an entrepreneur, there's so many people that have to help you to get to that point. And you're doing this podcast with me for free and I'm not getting paid for it either. You know, your time is extremely valuable, but you're doing it to help others. And, and that just goes to show you can't get where you want to be or go further without helping others. Yeah. And if it, if it just helps a couple people, that's, that's fine with me because I remember being that guy. I remember being that guy that was so thirsty for answers and like mentorship and advice and, 
Lord knows I still need plenty of it. But, you know, if, if I know that there are people out there that listen to this podcast that are going through some of the things that I went through, and if I can help one of them, oh man, it's, it's, it's worth every minute because, you know, it's like, we only go around one time. And if you don't have, I, I, I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong with people sometimes, but if you don't have a desire to give back and bless other people, I, I don't know, man, I don't know where, where the screw went loose, what happened. But let me tell you something. If, if you don't have that desire to help other people, look into it. Try and figure out a way that you can give back and help other people. Because if cash is king, having a mission is queen. And it, it, will, it will bring so much joy and fulfillment into your life if you crack the code and figure out what, how you enjoy helping and blessing other people. I already know your answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I know it's going to come off so authentic and genuine and passionate. What do you get more, uh, I don't know, a high from, I guess, if you close a deal to make a million dollars or if you impact a thousand people? Easy, not even close. Like I said, money doesn't make you happy. You know, it's fleeting. It's, it's materialism. Materialism is dust in the wind. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. If you're able to impact a thousand lives, you know what happens. It's like a spider web effect. It's like that butterfly effect. I mean, those those thousand people go out and then they impact, you know, 20,000 people. And those 20,000 people go out and impact 300,000 people. And so the ripple effect right there. Yep. It is. And that's why it's so important to, you know, it, that's why it's so important to do these types of things, because, um, you know, the you know, some of the stuff we're talking about is going to get shared around with other people. And, you know, if other people learn how to become financially free, and they learn how to become entrepreneurs and then they hire other people who need jobs and then their dollars get pumped back into the economy, which hire more people, you know, and, and other people start treating other people the way they want to be treated just because of stuff they heard on a podcast, this world is a better place. And that's, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons I joined the SEAL teams because I know how much evil is out there, you know, and I wanted to help people who couldn't fight for themselves. I, I could. I don't even know what to say, man. I'm speechless. You're absolutely right. Everything you said is just so true, and I believe in everything you said so wholeheartedly. It just shows just the true entrepreneurial, but mind you have. You know, it's just not. It's not a typical thing nowadays either. You you weren't born this way. You, you built your mind into this type of mold that you are now, and it's incredible to listen to you. And I would love to hear honestly what are, what are your future goals, or do you have any goal in mind? Yeah, you know, I'm always I'm always working on new stuff. As a matter of fact. Um, you know, I, I might I might be writing a book uh, this summer. Uh, it's it would be it's not an, necessarily an entrepreneurial book or a, a military book, but I'm I'm probably going to write a book um, on faith this summer, and I hope that it touches a lot of lives, and I hope it helps you know heal a lot of people. Um, and I'm also uh, I also am a contributor at Entrepreneur.com, which I enjoy doing. You know, it helps spread, you know, some of those things we're talking about out there to, you know, guys who were like me five, six years ago with, they were unsure about things. I enjoyed dipping into politics because though, while I was in the SEAL teams, we used to say we were at the tip of the spear. The spear can't thrust unless the uh, brain gives it the command to do that. And a lot of times the brain in this country is in Washington, D.C. And it's also in Hollywood with our movie stars. And so just getting involved with, you know, some thought leadership, you know, in, in the, the pieces, the op-ed pieces I've been writing lately for IJR and Breitbart and some other outlets, you know, that's really something I'm passionate about is, you know, taking, you know, my resume, my experience, my failure, and really, you know, trying to help other people understand not only how great we have it here in this country, but, you know, how to preserve, um, you know, the freedoms and liberties that we have here for not just for ourselves, but more importantly, for future generations so that, you know, my kids and their kids and grandkids and their children, you know, and the future generations get to enjoy and, you know, appreciate the freedoms and liberties that we grew up with. And that's something that's really important to me because I know that it didn't just happen magically. You know, that this country isn't just, it didn't just happen on a whim. I know how it happened. And it happened with, you know, some men that were flawed, like me and you, you know, who wanted freedom and liberty, and they were tired of being oppressed by a government that didn't let them be represented or let listen to them. And so they, you know, they, they fought for it. And when they were done fighting for it, after they had won, they went and they started drafting up some documents called the constitution that gave us the ability 
to make sure that not only did that never happen again, did we that we never had to deal with government oppression again, but that hopefully our government would stay small and limited and let we the people rule this country and we the people have as much freedom and liberty as possible. So those are things that are really important to me and I want to get more and more involved in making sure that future generations get to enjoy those freedoms and liberties. I love it. I think there needs to be more people that strive to become a positive influence. Like you said, a lot of control goes to celebrities and politics, but there needs to be other people. And that's a big reason that I want so much influence because I know with the influence I'm given, my whole goal is to make a positive difference and change and to help a lot of people. I know that's your goal too. And there needs to be more people like that. Yep. So if you're like that and you're listening in, please absolutely go after what it is you want because you can make a difference. You know, me and both you, Eli, you're way leaps and bounds past me, but we were both regular people at the start. That's what it comes down to. And we're still regular people, brother. Like exactly. The moment you start, the moment you start thinking that you've made it or your your hot your hot stuff is the moment you're about to take a heavy fall and you know have a really really bad time. You're absolutely right, man. Eli, where can people follow you? Can website, Instagram, Facebook? Where do you want people to go to to check you out, ask you questions, buy your product? Give it to me, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's for Bottle Breacher, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all Bottle Breacher. Um, and then they can come to our website at www.bottlebreacher.com. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, go ahead and Google us. Uh, we, we do, a, we do a lot of different stuff. Um, I've been writing a lot lately and it's, it's something that I, that I realized that I really enjoy doing and, um, just, just trying to, just trying to, uh, you know, help people out out there and, um, it's, it's a blast, man. And it, it's just something that I'll never stop doing. I'll never stop trying to learn. I'll never stop grinding. I'll never stop hustling, you know, and I'll never stop looking, looking for ways to serve not only, not only my, my Lord and savior, but also the people of this country and and not only that, but people around the world. So, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on your podcast, man. Thank you so much for your time, Eli. It has been an absolute pleasure, and I had a fantastic time with you. I think you shared a lot of knowledge. It's going to help a lot of people. Guys, if you're listening on in, like I said, Eli took time out of his busy-ass schedule to talk to me, to give you guys knowledge. You can absolutely take time out of your day to listen to him and absorb exactly what he's saying to achieve what you want in your own life. So if you're listening in, subscribe, rate, and review. Check out Bottle Breacher. Check out Eli. Shoot him a message. Like, follow buy his product shit's awesome it's a fucking 50 cal bullet guys that breaks open bottle opener come on it's it's sick so with that being said guys have a fantastic day go out and crush it all right thanks brother appreciate it